what are we to make of a god who calls? Is vocation something just for vicars or all who follow Jesus? How can a vocation change over time? And how can we be part of recognising vocation in ourselves and others? And can children be part of the journey too? Welcome to Talking Theology, a podcast of Grammar Hall Durham where we explore some of life's big questions and try to join the dots between theology, church and the world. I'm your host, Philip Fleming, and in today's show, I'll be talking to Canon Charlie Allen. Charlie is Canon Chancellor at Durham Cathedral and was previously Director of Ordnance for the Diocese of Salisbury. And our question today is, how does God call today? Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. Charlie Allen, welcome to Talking Theology. Thank you very much. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Your current role is as Canon Chancellor of Durham Cathedral. What does yeah. that look like? It's a brilliantly varied role, actually. It involves, as with the other canons at the cathedral, being involved in the full rhythm of worship throughout the day and throughout the church year. There's a governance aspect to it, being part of chapter. And then the main focus of it for me is the outward face of the cathedral. So working in partnership across the city, the diocese, the region and beyond. Looking at our visitor engagement, how we encourage people to become pilgrims, whether they arrived as pilgrims or not. And looking at some really creative things such as arts programmes, public theology, um, a year of pilgrimage that we've got coming up next year. Fantastic. Before you came to Durham, I know you were a DDO, a Diocesan Director of Ordinance in Salisbury Diocese. Yes. Tell us, what does a DDO do and what made you interested in that role and what did you enjoy about it? It's another varied role, actually, which is why I really enjoyed it, I think. I fell into it by accident. It wasn't a role I particularly sought to apply for, but I'm delighted I ended up in it. I was in a parish as a parish priest and was doing a lot of vocations work around the edges with the diocese as vocations advisor, a lot of vocations work in the parish as well. And I came to realise it'd be quite interesting just to flip the balance around and keep the parish focus as well, but have the main day job, as it were, exploring vocations of people. So that's how I ended up in it. And I'm really glad I did because it it involves working with such a rich variety of people. Every day is different. Every person is different that you're speaking to. The the main focus of the job was helping people discern vocation, whatever that was to, although my particular focus was to ordained ministry, and then accompanying people in that discernment. And if it seemed the right thing to do, into training at theological college or course, and then into a curacy and accompanying them through that curacy until they were came out the other end, as it were. So it was a great sense of getting to know people over many years, which was really quite quite a privilege. We're thinking today about vocations. Mm. You mentioned that your role particularly in Salisbury Diocese was about helping people explore mm. a vocation to ordained ministry. Yes. And it's typically that's how that language is understood in the Church of England. What's right, but what's wrong about that understanding of vocation? I think everything is wrong about it, if I'm honest. (laughs) I think the church hugely does people a disservice if it falls into a comfort zone of talking about vocation solely in relation to ordained ministry. Of course, people do have a vocation to ordained ministry, and that's great, and we want to, to celebrate that and nurture and encourage it. But everybody has a vocation. I would say that's part of being a disciple, is discerning what your particular vocation or vocations are in relation to that. So the more we can broaden that understanding and the more we can enable people to have vocational conversations as part of that journey of discipleship, I think is is really, really significant. That's 
given us a big canvas on which to paint today. <laughs> yes. uh, so let's go back to one of the sources of theology at the Bible. As we think about biblical stories of vocation and calling, are there any biblical stories of vocation that have struck you over the years as being particularly relevant or interesting? And is there a kind of pattern that you see within them? I think that the pattern for me goes back to that which I just said about calling vocation being part of being a disciple. If you look at even the calling of the first disciples, what you begin to see as their characters come through in scripture is a sense of who they're called to be. And I think vocation is more about being than doing. The doing's a secondary thing. And you see their characters come out, whether they're an encourager, whether they're a leader, someone who will shape and nurture communities, someone who will accompany others in faith. You can begin to see those characteristics come through. And then later on, you begin to see how that hits the ground in the actual doing in response to a vocation. And I think that's actually the same with each of us in a way. There's through the, the characters that we are given, there is a vocation within that that can be lived in different ways at different times often, I think, but which lands well. And it's rather than being called to something in particular, I think there is a sense of being called to be who we're created to be. And then in any given time, discern what that means to live that out. be great to come back to that in a moment. Yeah. Let's just stay yeah. with the, the Bible narratives. I'm conscious that two of the narratives that are often drawn to when people talk about calling as the calling of Samuel in the yep. Old Testament mm-hmm. um, and the calling of Paul on the Damascus Road yes. in the New Testament. To what extent of those were both kind of clear, almost audible calls of God in the way that was presented? To what extent are those have those shaped our understanding of calling and are they helpful or do they need kind of critiquing a bit? I think, uh, speaking of the call of Samuel, I think that's shaped our understanding of calling in as much as we cannot discern it well by ourselves, And I think there's something that, that needs to be corporate about the discernment of calling and vocation. And that story symbolises it wonderfully, where there isn't just Samuel wondering who that voice is, there are those around him wondering who that voice is. And together, they begin to have a glimpse of what's going on. And then the story unfolds. I think it's slightly different for Paul, in as much as his calling was, was initially to faith. And I think an actually discovery of who Jesus was for him. And from that then followed his vocation in terms of what it meant to live that out. And I think for Paul, whilst that was a very, very radical conversion, turning from one direction to another extremely suddenly, I don't think he had a sense of necessarily what it meant in terms of vocation at that moment. You can see that developing through Paul's life as he began to grasp the sense that he was called to to be a leader in that. He was called to help shape and form the church in different ways and called to encourage the church. I mean, you see in so many of his letters, there is that spirit of wanting to encourage, wanting to gather together. And that probably wasn't there, I imagine, at that first conversion moment. That fell into place as he grew into who he was in Christ, I think. There's that wonderful moment, isn't Galatians, where he, he just drops the hint that he was away for three years in Arabia and we don't know what he was doing. And yes, I wonder absolutely. if he was yeah. busy working out that transition from being to doing. He kind of knew what he was called yeah. to be, but perhaps he was quite a big question mark yeah. about what he was called to do. Very much so. I think you see it in the life of, of Jesus himself. I mean, it's that, that astounding gap in the Gospels as he was growing up, where we know very, very little. We can only guess, but I always have a feeling that he was being shaped and formed in his vocation during that time. And there would have been hints, there would have been time when that felt stronger. And then as an adult, he, he grew into that more fully, his understanding of that. 
you've talked about vocation as primarily a vocation to be before it's a vocation to do. That is, it's a mm. question of discipleship before yeah. being particularly. And you mentioned that that being can feed into different sorts of doing in different mm. seasons, in different times. I guess that gives rise to the question, can people have multiple vocations and, and are there vocations that come at different times and in different ways as opposed to just having, for example, a vocation? I think there are. I think there are really. I was thinking back to um, when I was a parish priest in Portsmouth, there was a lady within the congregation who had for many years accompanied people in their journey of faith. She'd been a sponsor at baptism. She'd helped prepare people for confirmation. That was very much her vocation, was to encourage and nurture others who were quite new to the faith. And as she grew older, she became housebound. And at one point, she became rather concerned about how her vocation could still be lived out. And after a while, as we explored it together, we found a, a reinterpretation of it, I suppose. So she she started knitting baptism shawls. She was a great knitter. So each person who was baptised, each baby who was baptised within the congregation, was given a baptism shawl that she had knitted, along with a prayer for that child that she had written, and along with the promise to continue to pray for that child for as long as she was here in this world. And that meant a huge amount to the families of the children who were being brought for baptism. And there was something in that about honouring that calling that was still there to encourage and nurture others on the way of faith, but doing it in a way that at that particular chapter in her life, she could live well. So I think there's something about reinterpreting callings that may stay the same throughout life, but you live them in a different ways in different seasons, perhaps. And I think there is something for everyone about having multiple vocations, without a doubt. And often the challenge is then exploring how those vocations interact with each other rather than conflict with each other unhelpfully. Is it appropriate to talk about callings to parenthood, callings mm-hmm. to marriage, calling to different life stages? Mm-hmm. Is that what you mean by perhaps having those multiple callings? I think it can be. I think, I, think, I think marriage, I think parenthood are certainly vocations in that way. I think there can be people who have different vocations in life as well, such as they may feel called to work in a prison environment, uh, working with people in terms of rehabilitation, and also may feel a call to ordain ministry or to other forms of ministry. And sometimes you see those ministries uniting, and other times you see them complementing each other, but on, on separate trajectories. You talk about that way in which part of the test is working out how those multiple vocations hmm. belong together. I've sometimes thought if they're all of God, then we should expect them to work together. What what advice do we give when you must have found this as a DDO? They don't necessarily sit together terribly well or it feels like they're coming into conflict. I think rarely they come into conflict, actually. I think you can have moments where they seem to, on a practical level, jar with each other. But I think if you go back to the sense of calling behind it often the two different vocations inform the other they wouldn't be quite complete without the other so I'm thinking of someone in particular who was very involved in prison ministry but not in their ordained ministry and actually the work that they were doing with people in prisons hugely informed the sense of social justice and sense of I suppose giving people fresh starts new opportunities re-envisioning life in a different way that they brought into the rest of their ministry and that hugely benefited the prison ministry too but those strands were never united formally that person never became a prison chaplain for Mm. example but actually they wouldn't have been neither vocation would have been complete without the other and i think that's often the way in life actually in terms of vocations people have different 
callings that complement the other and inform the other in a really positive and life-giving way. You talked earlier about the way in which we can have, as you say, a vocation to work in a prison, vocations that might change. I'm conscious that language of vocation, when it is used within the non-ordained context, is mm. often related to caring professions, a vocation as a nurse or, mm. or teacher or something like that. Can someone have a calling, for example, to be a merchant banker or a professional footballer? Does calling work in that context as well? I think that comes back to the character of the calling in terms of how you live it. Thinking again back to when I was in Portsmouth, actually, they were I did quite a bit of work with Portsmouth football team, and uh, which was really really fascinating and not something I'd done before. I have to admit, they um was that invited, mainly prayer or was <laughs> they, they did invite me to to pray in the in the dressing room with them before they went out for a match, and it, it didn't make any difference sadly, <laughs> but um, it was it was very good of them to try. What really impressed me though was actually a lot of Portsmouth football team were Christians, and how they lived out their faith in relation to the skill that they had in football was really interesting. So they would support a huge amount of youth initiatives for children who may not otherwise have much of an aspirational take on life to to encourage them to aspire in different ways, to give skills, to help develop their confidence. They, would, they wouldn't be afraid to speak about their faith on the, the public platforms that they had because of their, their footballing skill. So I think the character of, the, of their vocation was actually to, to bring faith into a context in which it may not often be considered quite mission-focused, I suppose, in many ways. And that was lived out in those particular roles. Whether they had a vocation to be a footballer, for example, I don't know if you'd call it that or whether that's a skill in being a footballer. But the fact that they brought out their vocation to nurture faith in others in it I think says something about the fact you can actually inhabit a role like that and use that as part of your vocation. In a similar way to, to be a merchant banker, I think you could, it depends what sort of merchant banker you're going to be, I think I'd say, to be honest. We do need people who are skilled in those areas of our corporate life together. How people use those skills, I think, is where the vocational aspect comes in. Are they someone who is very skilled at asking often difficult questions of that particular institution in terms of ethical standards, in terms of its corporate life together. And I would say that could become very vocational in terms of how that role is inhabited. I'm conscious that sometimes those vocations that you've described are actually very difficult. Perhaps living out your faith in a very secular environment can be very demanding. Mm. What is there about God and Christian faith as we've received it that can help us when the vocation is tough going? What are the theological resources that we can draw on or that you might remind people of when you're a parish priest that let's keep going in this calling that's of God? It's a really good question. I think I think there's nothing about vocation that says it's always going to be easy or that it's always going to be enjoyable. I'm not sure they necessarily be the words I'd use to describe a sense of vocation. I think I'd use more words such as a sense of fulfillment and that you're in the right place at the right time there's a sense of peace in that is that you're doing what you're what you're called to do it's what you're created to do in a sense i think i'd actually go back in terms of thinking about it from the perspective of scripture to some of the old testament characters i'm thinking of jacob wrestling with god an angel however we may interpret that in the river jabbok for example there is that sense of wrestling with god sometimes i think in vocation and i mean he left that river limping slightly and yet there was a sense of peace in who he was and his identity that came out of that and i think vocation can often 
be like that. There is a sense of actually this is what I'm called to do and be. It may not have necessarily been what I've chosen or what I would have expected. And yet there is a feeling of awe and wonder and treading on holy ground at the same time. And I think for me, there is often that side of it in vocation. When I find myself in unexpected places, I don't think I've ever particularly expected to end up in any of the roles I have within the church. And yet each of them have been the right thing to be doing. And you do have that sense of treading on holy ground, that you are in the right place and God can use you well in that place. And that's slightly different to talking about fulfilment in terms of happiness, enjoyable, I suppose. There's a sense of just being in the place where God has called you and there's something about the satisfaction or the peace about that that kind of sits alongside or perhaps even transcends it's life-giving in its own way and I think sometimes you have to stand back from the day-to-day of ministry particularly people are ministering in in really very difficult times or places under huge amounts of pressure often when you step back from that I mean that's the benefit of quiet days and retreats and all this sort of thing isn't it is to to get a a broader perspective you can often see where god is at work in really life-giving ways that you sometimes don't notice if you're so caught up in the day-to-day i remember being on holiday once a long long way away from the uk and it had been a very busy time and i remember i was talking to the person who ran the b&b and i just suddenly realized i wouldn't be doing any other role than what god has called me to at Mm. the moment but it required exactly that to step out and say but i couldn't imagine doing anything else yes you know this is where god's called me absolutely yeah and there is that sense of of simply being called to be who you are actually somebody is vocation should be an expression of who you are i think it's not something in addition that's added to you we've painted the picture that vocation's a broad concept in which god can work in all sorts of ways Mm. related to our being as well as our doing Let's come back to that role you had as a DDO and think about Mm. ordained ministry in particular. Is there something distinctive about a calling to ordained ministry? And if so, what is it? I think there's distinctive things about all vocations. I think the distinctive nature of a call to ordained ministry is around walking alongside people in a ministry of word and sacrament and nurturing people in the faith and, and also nurturing a church community, I think, corporately in its its journey of discipleship and witness and its life together. I think those are the distinctive elements that I would be looking for. How are people, who are people in relation to that vocation? Let's look at those in turn, the ministry of word and sacrament. What does that look like for you? In my current role? I guess in the different ways you've seen it expressed in the people you've... I think it can be expressed in many ways. I mean, the most people, that their mind will go straight to a, a parish church community, for example with the ministry of word and sacrament, the people of God in that place, sustained and on a journey of faith together and individually. It can also be the same in other contexts, but look very different. So in a fresh expression or in a new monastic community, within a chaplaincy, there's a whole variety of different ways where a community is gathered, wherever that community or however that community is gathered from, and exploring what it means to journey together in faith and to nurture one another in faith but not to let that journey become inward-looking, to give it that outward focus of how is that lived, what impact does that have on the world around. And I would say there's something in ordained ministry of of shaping that. I don't mean taking that over. It is that the communities journey together, but being the person who who has the time and the space, in some ways, it's a privilege of ordained ministry, I suppose, to help facilitate that corporate journey of that community. In word and sacrament, by which I mean how we are we are fed and sustained for the journey, and in its corporate life together, by which I mean the understanding of its identity. Why does that church community exist? 
or that particular community exist? What is its vocation, its calling? Is it to serve its wider community in issues of social justice? Is it to speak hope where it needs to be spoken? Is it to serve in particular ways? That's that corporate discernment that goes on. Is that what's often described as leadership, that community discernment and walking with? I think it is. It very much is. I think I often avoid the word leadership because it comes loaded with so many different assumptions depending on which, which person is saying it, I suppose, and what their experience is. And I would say this: it is very much leadership, but leadership as defined within a community and allowing others in that community to, to take a lead as well. So which I suppose shaping and forming would be the, the model of leadership I'd be speaking of in relation to it. This is maybe a question that relates specifically to ordained ministry and the, the role you had as DDO, or maybe more widely in the vocations that you've seen God nurture and mm. grow over the years. What are the ways that you've seen God nudge people towards vocation? How have people started being aware of perhaps a new vocation, a new chapter in their vocation? Are there things we can all learn, all those of us listening to this podcast, about how we can be listening to God for perhaps a new vocation or a new chapter to vocation? I think when I was working as a DDO, the majority of people who came to talk to me about vocation did not expect to find themselves there and were incredibly surprised and slightly alarmed in, in many ways that they had. It's a common element is that sense of being surprised by a vocation. Very few people saw it coming over a long period of time. With hindsight, once we began to tease things out and talk through things, often that became quite evident that God had been leading them in that direction for quite a long time. But at that particular point, most people hadn't seen it coming. And it was either somebody else saying something to them. Have you ever thought about? Because this is something I think I can see in you. That awakened people to consider something they hadn't considered, but then wouldn't quite go away. There was that niggle that wouldn't quite leave them alone. And they thought, I'm not going to be content in life unless I've looked into this and explored it further and seen where it might lead. And I think many people were surprised because... Often they had quite a clear sense of where they were going in life and ordained ministry wasn't it. Whatever career they were in, they were either they were quite well established in or at the other extreme of things, they were in a very unpredictable place in life. They didn't have a stable place to live. They didn't have a professional job and they thought the church will not be interested in someone like me. So for all of those people, actually, there was a sense of I'm not sure if this can be the right thing. Can this be something that I could be called to do? And for the majority of them, it was. But the element of surprise, I think, of where God is at work was a really interesting thing. And actually, even for the people who began wondering if they were called to ordained ministry and discovered actually along the way that they weren't, ordained ministry wasn't the particular lens through which they were being called to live out their vocation, they all discovered a different way they were being called, which still was a surprise. It wasn't the one they were thinking of, and yet it was the right thing. And what I was always really delighted to receive actually as a DDO were letters from people that we'd said we don't think this is you this is where you're being called to so let's accompany you to find out what it is because God's certainly prompting you somewhere in this if it's not ordained ministry what is it and letters from people years down the line who said thank goodness you didn't say yes to ordained ministry because I have really found out where I was being called now and there is a sense of of joy in living that you mentioned just now about the sense of the corporate being a really mm. important part of the discernment is somebody else saying, oh, I think I've noticed this in you. Yeah. And does that suggest that all of us might have a responsibility if we're followers of Jesus Christ to be looking for vocations in others and mm. perhaps naming them and encouraging them? And is that something perhaps that you'd love to see more of in the church? Hugely, I think so. It should be part of our conversation in a very 
day-to-day, very normal way. It shouldn't be something that every now and again we wake up and think, gosh, we haven't done anything about vocations recently. It should just be part of our culture as we relate one to another. And I think that then moves it away from all being about ordained ministry because that can very easily fall into something of a recruitment drive. Gosh, we need a few more people to be ordained. Let's start asking questions about vocation. That's, that's the wrong way to go about it. It should just simply be the day-to-day bread and butter of the church. I visited a church relatively recently who had done quite a lot of work on becoming a vocational community. It was really encouraging to see. And they'd done some work, even with the children within their congregation, of their particular gifts and characteristics that they thought contributed to the whole in a vocational way. So they had some children who really had a gift of empathy and of welcome and of engaging with others on the welcomers rota. And that was their role was to welcome people, as well as the adults who were also gifted in those ways. And I thought that was delightful, nurturing that vocation. And equally, they had children who they thought were really gifted at writing prayers well. And they were on the intercessors, but they were nurturing them, not in a tokenistic way, far from it, but actually in a really integrated way that said we are vocational communities. And that throws the whole idea of ages, as it were, out of the window. We're looking at what are the particular gifts these people have been given and how may they be called to be used in community. I thought that was just delightful. It was a wonderful thing to experience. And says so much to me about what vocational communities need to look like. And and unsurprisingly, that particular church community had people right, left and centre considering, yes, ordained ministry, but also all manner of licensed lay ministries. And actually, I think even more telling, living out their vocation in the wider community and coming back to tell the church about it. Yes, in the caring professions, you know, someone who was a nurse was saying a little bit about what it meant to live their vocation and how the church community could support that but also somebody in a very different profession, someone who's a Christian teacher, was saying what it meant for them to live out their vocation and coming back to encourage the church to support them in that. What sort of insights have you gleaned about the God we worship as you've seen these vocations come alive in people's lives over the years in different contexts? What new windows has it opened into God's character and work and ways? That's a very good question. I think it's given me the sense of not trying to predict in whom God will be at work in different ways and a real openness to that. I talked about being surprised before and I I think that really has has rooted that within me of um, don't expect you to be able to see where this is going. Let's be open to where God is at work and see where we find ourselves. I think an element of how God can work through the most unexpected people in the most unexpected times and places and an attentiveness to that. I think also... An awareness of the joy that can come through vocation. There is often that sense of a fear, I suppose, in people of the unknown. Am I good enough? You know, what are people going to think that comes through it? Can this possibly be me? And there needs to be an element of that because that's all good and proper because it makes people discern well, I think. I'd be very worried about someone who said, this is where God's calling me to and that's that. There needs to be that that sense of wrestling with it and really teasing it out. But also a sense of joy in something new is emerging in someone's response to God. And that's really key, I think, that sense of, of being blessed and blessing others through it. What one bit of advice would you give to somebody listening to this who is sensing that surprising call of God? Where might they go with that? I think my advice would be to dare to take a risk and talk to people about it. My experience, I think, with people is that they've often sat with this for quite a long time by themselves, wondering what to do and not quite daring to to voice it to someone. And actually, there are so many people around who would be delighted to explore that with someone. And I think to someone who's 
not necessarily thinking of their own sense of vocation, but noticing it in others, to dare to voice that as well. Because you never know where that offhand comment can end up. Several people over the years I saw as a DDO who said, 20 years ago, someone said this to me, and I've been sitting with that ever since. That person would not have a clue that 20 years into the future that would have had such an effect on that person's life and that it had done in all those years in between. Those little comments can make a difference and they can really encourage someone and sow seeds that need to be sown. So not to be afraid of that because that takes a bit of confidence sometimes. Charlie Allen, you've given us a wonderful sense of the richness of God's vocation for us all and how we can be part of it. Thank you very much for appearing on Talking Theology. A pleasure. Thank you. You have been listening to Talking Theology, a podcast from Cranmahal, Durham. Cranmahal is a theological college within St John's College in the University of Durham, training people for ministry in the Church of England and other denominations. Find out more about us at cranmahal.com.